It says in verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, for certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who churn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You may have a seat. The Epistle of Jude, written by the half-brother of Jesus, Jude, who is also brother of James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, it's interesting to know that this book is not written like a lot of the other epistles. The other epistles can be written to a specific church, the book of Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, written to the church of Corinth. Galatians, the same thing. But this book is written to Christians. It's written for you. So to understand its context, you have to understand what it means to be a Christian, first of all. And Jude is writing to all of the church. And so he starts off saying something kind of interesting, if you pay attention. He says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to, uh, or before that, it says, I, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. That's what he was planning on doing, saying, hey, we're all in the faith, this is great, but I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to, to, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? Why does he do that? He says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the theme of tonight, the theme of our year will be to contend for the faith. What does that mean? Well, the ancient Greek, the ancient Greek word that's translated as contend comes from the athletic world, believe it or not. From, uh, it's a wrestling term, talking about coming from the wrestling mat and uh, you're getting up and you're contending, you're struggling with the other person. It's a strengthened form of the word meaning to agonize. So to contend means it's a hard and diligent work. And we can think of times in our life where you and I will contend for things. We'll be fighting, struggling for certain things. So I remember there's one day I woke up and I went on Facebook and I saw on Facebook there was an ad for Quick Check. It says, make your own sub. And there's in that moment that I was just like, yes, I can do this. I can contend for the sub. And so I told Roy and I told Josh and I told a bunch of other kids, I was like, we need to do this. We can do this together. So I made my own sub. And those of you know the story, it's really funny, actually. I told Andy Dean, who was the youth pastor of the time for junior high, and he was just, he was just like, dude, we have to make this an Ignite event. So everyone started subscribing to my sub. I made my own sub and it was in a contest with 4,000 other people. I went to finals because everyone voted for my sub. And then we went to finals and I had this one other person that got more votes than me. And she just kind of like hired people. She like paid people 
so that she could get more votes than me. It was really weird. I don't know how it worked. But we showed up to this, this competition at a quick check, and I brought a busload of people. How many of you went with me? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> My true best friends. And so we went, and I had like 20 or 30 kids with me, and no one else brought anyone, like their mom and their dad. That was it at the, all the other competitors. And we made my sub, and everyone's cheering, and uh, the quick check people, like the people in charge, were like so in love with our group. They're like, yeah, this guy's popular because he's got friends, and this is awesome. We got to make sure that he wins. And so all of you contended with me to fight for a common cause. And after that, I'm pretty sure this is the, that was the highlight of my life. It just kind of goes downhill after that, because I, I not even kidding you, because I, I got $1,500 on a quick check, quick check, quick check gift card. It's always hard to say that. And my face was on a billboard here in Old Bridge and there's some other billboard somewhere else and whatever. I, I went to every quick check and I was a celebrity. I walked in, I was like, yes. And people were like, Alan, you're the guy. <laughs> it, was, it was the best like year of my life. It really was. <laughs> but I, had, I worked at the gas station and there were people that came in. They're like, do you have a billboard of your face? And I was like, yes, yes I do. Glory be to God who contended for me. Now, but we all have common goals that, for which we want to fight for something, right? So we have stupid things often for which we'll contend. Some of us will contend for our favorite band. Like you'll fight to the death with your other friend. Oh, this band's so good because of this. Or some people like different bands, like especially Christian bands, will be really particular uh, like this one band, Gungor. I don't know how many of you listen to Gungor. Raise your hand. Anybody listen to Gungor? Okay, it's like a really hipster, eclectic band. So it's almost like uncool if you like them, if someone else likes them. But when you really have a band that, you're, you know, you devote your life to learning their lyrics, you kind of want to contend with other people to fight for that same band. Or if you're a guy, sometimes you'll have a, a friend that's a guy and you'll both like the same girl. Now it's awkward. What do you do? Well, you contend for that girl. And it just gets really awkward. Some of you have been in that position. Some of you girls have been in that position. Probably more girls than guys. All like in the same guy. And you, and you fight over things. You say things. Especially you girls. You'll be like, you don't understand him like I do. And so, I mean, I never contended in that way. I mean, when I was little, I used to contend over things that I enjoyed. And so I, I developed this game with my friend uh, called Battle Sticks. And it sounds like something I did when I was five, but literally I did it up until like two years ago. And we would, we would find really big sticks and kind of hit each other with them. But we were, we were almost certain that this was going to go worldwide and become a sport. Like, imagine gets on TV and just, like, you just poke people with sticks and you win. And, but the thing that just, like, that ruined everything was my brother. Because so my brother would swing it violently. And he actually poked my friend in the eye and almost blinded him. And, you know, I guess you, I should have felt bad for my friend. But being a teenager, I was just like, Daniel ruins everything. I can't believe him. It's just, like, not worthy to be my brother. I didn't say that. But I was, I was contending for my sport, and I talked to my parents about it. I was like, no, we'll wear safety goggles. We did. <laughs> we wore safety goggles. We looked like dorks, and we were just playing outside. 
It'd be like a 17-year-old kid playing outside of my house with sticks. If any of you guys want to play this, I am so down, by the way. I'll show you the rule book. Anyway. Yes, I have a rule book. Why don't you believe me? Yes. Anyway, shh, shh. I'll show you the sticks that I've named. Anyway, shh. We become so passionate to contend for something that we are all about. Why? Because we're usually confident about our knowledge of a certain subject. When you're contending for the thing that you enjoy, especially if you're an expert in that field, you know you've read a book, you know everything about that book, the Twilight series, you're contending for certain views and viewpoints because you've read it, you know it in and out, or maybe it's a sport or maybe it's a hobby, maybe you like working on cars, your friend talks about cars, you're like, you're so stupid, I, I do this for a living, and none of you probably do for a living, but I did when I was in high school. But there's a, a place where oftentimes when you're so passionate about something, You'll often say to the other person, I'll prove you wrong. I'll show you. You pull out your phone, you use cha-cha or something. You want to prove the other person wrong because you want to contend for your belief. It goes back to that saying where everyone's like, you always want to be right. Well, everyone wants to be right. Who wants to be wrong? But when's the last time, I'm going to ask you this, when's the last time you contended for, you fought for the faith? If you're a Christian here today, when's the last time that you fought for the name of Jesus? When's the last time that your friend said something mean or terrible about Jesus, used his name in vain, and you stood up for it? Maybe it's been a while for you. And I would ask, why is it that we don't contend? Well, this is what I would venture to you. I would venture to say, perhaps we aren't confident about our knowledge of God. Maybe the reason why we don't fight for Jesus in the battle of ideas is because you don't feel like you know sufficient knowledge to be on an equal playing field with that friend that's an atheist, with that person at school or that teacher that says something mean or terrible. You, you have that teacher in public school, those of you that go to public school, that just badmouth Jesus here and there, badmouth Christians as a byword, and you just kind of let it slide because you don't want to disrupt, you don't know what to say. But if you're confident of your knowledge of the subject, I would say that you would stand up for it. If you're confident of your knowledge of a, of a hobby, you would stand up for that hobby. How much more so should we be confident about our, our very own Savior and Lord Jesus Christ? Now, some of us might get overconfident. And so I was at a youth workers conference this past week. And I posted this on Facebook just to be humble. Although I said that it was bad, I guess. But uh, there's this guy, Josh McDowell, and he has a son, Sean McDowell. Those of you that know, he's a famous apologist, probably one of the most more popular uh, youth apologists, but he's really old. He's been doing it for like 50 years. His son, Sean McDowell, was speaking at the conference, and he did the exact thing that I always do to you guys. You know how I like role-playing atheist, and I'll like tell you guys to prove why God exists and stuff? He did the exact same thing to us. And I walked into it, and I was amazed. There's about 400 youth pastors and youth leaders there, and none of them could prove why God existed. They came up with things that were so ridiculous, like, like Sean would say something to them, like, prove to me that God exists. And someone raised their hand and like, well, don't you know the law of conservation matter? That uh, matter is neither created nor destroyed. So the Big Bang could have never happened. And he was like, think about what you're saying. Who is the one trying to prove that things are created? And she was like, Oh, right. 
And then other people are like, well, I have my faith. I have my feelings. He's like, going to the bathroom is a feeling. <laughs> so, so I'm just getting like really, you know, that your heart's beating. I'm just like, oh, I got to say something. I'm sitting next to Dave Stouffer. He's like, dude, you have to say something. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, raise my hand. Man, I got schooled. All right, so this is what happened. I know you're disappointed in me. I didn't get schooled on my knowledge because what I was saying was still right. The thing is, he threw out, threw out all these logical fallacies at me, which is bad reasoning. So anytime I would say something and answer him, like it went off destructing his, his viewpoint. And when I did that, he's just started going off for five minutes on something completely, completely random. And the problem is, since I, I was pretty sure no one else in the room understood what I was saying, I couldn't just like say something or like point it out. Because the minute I did, he was like, hey, hey, I gave you your chance to talk. Now it's my, tar- my turn to talk. And I was just like, oh, and people were looking at me like, how dare you? What, who do you think you are? Just people were looking at me with like snarls. And I was getting more frustrated because of, because of that. And so I'm getting frustrated. And I'm talking to him. And then afterwards, he's just like, now, how did you treat me? Was it with love and grace? And it's just like insult to injury. It's like, ah. Oh. So then I talked to him afterwards. And uh, he was like, oh, good job and stuff. But, you know, it, it taught me that I had a lot to learn. And I have to be humble. So next time that you guys ask me if I know everything, I don't know everything. But I think I was still right. But anyway, uh, later that evening, although I redeemed myself because there's an astrophysicist that I was talking to. And I went toe-to-toe, toe-to-toe with him. And uh, it made me feel better. I'm not going to get into that because that's a complete tangent. So why do we contend? Why do we contend for the faith? And that is because I really believe Christianity is becoming dumbed down. What do I mean by that? I mean, oftentimes we're, we're trying to fight experience with experience. Well, you too can experience God. You can feel God. Why do you believe in God? Ask yourself that question tonight. Why do you believe in God? Many of you wouldn't know how to answer that. A lot of Christians wouldn't know how to answer that. Oh, it's just a feeling I got in my heart or, you know, my parents had taught me that or I was raised in a Christian home. That's not a good enough reason to believe in God. Even the demons in hell believe there is a God. Mormons have a a spiritual experience. Buddhists have a spiritual experience. What makes our experience different from someone else's? And the problem is we're so more apt to want to become entertained and distracted versus knowing the truth. And when we talk about truth and we talk about learning, it's not really learning. We're just developing. If you look in different churches, we're often using bigger words, but we're not using deeper concepts. Like if anyone ever preaches to you and uses the term moral therapeutic deism, they should just be slapped. That's what I think at least, but that's my personal opinion. But a lot of people, and this is what's frustrating me and Brian Higgins when we were talking about it, a lot of people are, are feigning knowledge and feigning depth with God by using these giant words and developing Christianese for which no one really cares. Why do we need more Christianese? I don't think we do. Like people replace and said the good news of Jesus with the gospel. It's like a safe word you can bring into the public sector and not get in trouble. So Christians are able to take their faith and feelings uh, kind of section of the world while the world is bullying, uh, bullying us around with poisonous ideas that have dramatic consequences. 
We can take our faith and we can take our feelings and they push us in the corner and say, hey, you can keep your faith and feelings and you should believe this and believe that so that they're controlling us on what we should and shouldn't do. And here's some examples of that. Evolution. Evolution is probably the stupidest thing in the world and people still believe it. Not on evidence, but on the fact that they're bullying out creationists. I mean, there's plenty of good arguments against evolution, but we're still forced into that corner of saying, well, we got to teach in our schools because there's no other alternative. Thomas Nagel just wrote a book called Mind and Cosmos. He's an atheist that doesn't believe in God. He doesn't want to believe in God, but he writes against evolution saying, this is ridiculous, so ridiculous that in 10 years, we're going to laugh about it. So we atheists have to come up with another option because it's going to look stupid and we're going to have nothing else left. His name was Thomas Nagel. Another example, I think, is abortion. It seems like such a clear-cut issue, doesn't it? But while us Christians are busy playing our video games, people are allowed to tell us that abortion is okay. You're allowed to kill a baby as long as it's inside of a mother's womb. How does that make any sense? I mean, think about it for one second. Just having a baby inside a person's body allows you to kill that baby. It's like the mom's body has a magical property where it becomes a death chamber and you're allowed to kill anything inside of a woman's body. That makes no sense. And in fact, think about it this way. This is what I was thinking about the other day. If that were true, that would mean that humanness is a property you could and couldn't have. Because if the baby inside of you isn't human, that means it suddenly magically gains a property of being human when it leaves the womb. So are you following with me or is that too confusing? Nod or shake your head. Okay, half back and forth. Okay. I'll explain it again for those that are confused. If humanness is something that is not applied to the person inside of the womb, so they're not a baby inside of the womb, but they come out and they're magically human, that means they gain a property of being human, which means that some babies can be human and some babies cannot be human. And we might have a, a birth in which a case a human comes out and sometimes it wouldn't come out because it gains this magical property and it doesn't make any sense. So they would tell us it's good for you if it makes you feel good. You can keep your religion. You can have your belief where it says abortion is wrong. But if you tell us that we shouldn't do what we want to do, then it's wrong. R.C. Sproul said, The church is safe from vicious persecution at the hands of the secularist, as educated people have finished with stake-burning circuses and torture racks. No martyr's blood is shed in the secular West, so long as the church knows her place and remains quietly at peace on her modern reservation. Let the babes pray and sing and read their Bibles, continuing steadfastly in their intellectual retardation. The church's extinction will not come by sword or pillory, but by the quiet death of irrelevance. But let the church step off the reservation. Let her penetrate once more the culture of the day and the face of secularism will change from a benign smile to a savage snarl. As R.C. Sproul who said that, a theologian. And this is why we must contend. It's not enough to have our experiences and feelings. You know, I'm not saying that people aren't saved by just that basic knowledge of God, but in order to battle in the battle and war of ideas in the world that we're living in, we have to grow as Christians in the area of the mind. We have to stretch ourselves. And that's why we're going to go deeper into the scriptures in this next year. Number one, because I think you can handle it. 
I don't think you guys are stupid. I think you guys are way smarter than I was when I was in high school. So I think you can handle the deep things. And you also have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is able to teach you those things. And I also think that you guys are tired of all pet answers. You know, I could give you uh, a reason for the existence of God. And in five minutes, you could go home. You know, it takes you five minutes to get home or wherever you live. You could go on Google. You can use, even use your phone, Google existence of God arguments and dispel my argument in five minutes. If you don't know how to counteract it. If I gave you a weak argument. You know, the, the internet has in a way leveled the playing field. So if you don't know how to defend the faith, well, the minute that you tell someone, hey, you should believe in God because of this reason and that reason, they can just look it up on Google and say, oh, well, this is why I don't believe it. And if we don't have any answers, then how are they to believe? So that's why this upcoming year, our theme is to contend for the faith. Everything that we're going to look through, everything that we're going to talk about deals with contending, putting yourself in a place for which you can contend fight for Jesus. So we need to reserve a place in the mind for God. Like I'm saying, it's not necessary for salvation, but I think there's two things that happen. Number one, it's good for you and it deepens your relationship with God. So it's good for you. It helps other people and it deepens your relationship with God. You know, all these things that you learn about God, existence and arguments and things like that, it only helps you gain a greater appreciation for God and his attributes. It doesn't uh, it's not anything that just, just like is useless. A.W. Tozer said, The world is perishing for the lack of knowledge of God, and the church is famishing for want of his presence. So, with that, how do we contend? I'm going to give you four things. Four ways that we can contend in this next year. And you can write these down because we're going to repeat it a lot this year. Pray up. Shape up. Build up. Pull up. I'll go over it again, so don't worry. Pray up, number one. Shape up, number two. Number three is build up. And number four is pull up. And that's why we look to the epistle of Jude tonight for each of these reasons so that they're not my own but straight from the word of God. Jude lists out reasons why you should contend for the faith and how, how to contend for the faith. And the first one comes in verse nine of the book of Jude. It says, if you're following along with me, uh, let's, get con- let's get some context first, but it says in, uh, start in verse five. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given them over, given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. 
Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So pray up. Number one, our power comes from God and God alone. We can contend for the faith without God being within us. And that's what it means in verse 9. You know, Michael the archangel is fighting Satan over the body of Moses, which is a trippy thought to begin with. It's really confusing for those of you who are reading it for the first time, but it's not hard to explain, which we can talk about later, but I really can't get into any of this stuff uh, just yet. Michael the archangel is fighting over the body of Moses with Satan. And he dares not bring up his own accusation, but says, the Lord rebuke you. Because Michael the archangel, even though he's more powerful than me, more powerful than any man, more powerful than the other angels, he still relies on the power of God, not on himself. Psalm 121 says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. He'll watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. You realize when God is for you, who can be against you? Do you believe that today? When God is for you, you don't have to worry because he's not going to let you stumble. He's not going to let you trip when you're contending, when you're fighting, when you're talking to your friends, when you're talking to your teachers, talking to people you don't know about God. You don't have to be afraid because the Lord is the one who will not let you stumble. But you're not going to be able to fight these battles on your own. So that's why we can't just focus on dispelling the arguments can't just focus on telling people that they're wrong. We need to work to win people and focus on the love of people as God would have us. Number two is shape up. And that's seen in verse, starting in verse 8, but we'll continue on in verse 12. It says, These are spots in your love, love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, Lay autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. So this is something really important and you can't miss this. Not only do you pray up, not only do you follow Jesus' example where he says, I'm going out to the mountains to pray by myself even before the sun gets up. Not only do you follow that model of prayer, but you also got to shape up. You can't contend for the faith if you disqualify yourself. Matthew 6 uh, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't contend for the faith and at the same time be in sin. You can't contend for the faith and at the same time be addicted to pornography. 
You can't contend for the faith and at the same time call sin what it's not and say it's okay. I'm sure there's plenty of people in your schools, probably some of you here, that don't think that oral sex is sex. I'm just going to be straight with you. There's probably people here today that think that they're not looking at porn when it is. They're not calling sin what it is. And if you don't shape up your life, if you don't allow God to come into your life and make you into a new creation and conquer that sin, you're always going to be at Satan's disposal. He's going to use you against other Christians and against yourself. You might say, well, grace is still on me. You know, there might be times in your life where you're continuing in sin and you see that things are okay. God's still blessing you. Things are going right. It doesn't seem like anyone's found out yet. So everything's okay. And what you're saying is Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 2, where Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You can't play the game. You can't come to youth group and say, I'm going to contend for Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. And at the same time, your life is in shambles. You have to allow God to shape you, to mold you, to make you into the creation that he wants you to be. And that's where it says in verse 19, they don't have the spirit. These people that are causing divisions within the church are essential. They act according to their own lusts. They are not of God. They, he says that these are spots in your love feast. What, what does that even mean? What he meant is they would have these, uh, what's the word for it? They'd have these potlucks. That's the word. They have these potlucks at their church like we do sometimes. I don't think our church does, but I know a lot of other churches do. And these would be people that would cause divisions, only spreading gossip, only causing other sins and things in these potlucks and taking of all the food. And that's what he means by that. <clears throat> so you can't contend. Hold on a second. I'm just getting over a cold, sorry. You can't contend if you keep ungodly influences around you. Paul even says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. He says, I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Paul himself says, if you got friends that claim to be Christian and they're living in sexual immorality, you got friends that claim to be Christian and these people are greedy or worships idols or abusive or drunkard or cheats people, don't even eat with those people. I want you to do something for me. Everyone pull out your cell phone. Let's take five seconds. Pull out your cell phone and look at the last 10 people that texted you. You don't need other people to look on your own cell phone, although it's not like a crime if you do. Just really quickly pull out your cell phones. Look at the top 10 people that you just texted. Those people are the people that influence your life. Those are the people that are your posse. Those are the people that speak words into your life and you believe them. It might be really odd. You might get that random text message from a guy you haven't talked to in like 10 years that's like really creepy. But more so than not, these are the people that you talk to on a regular basis. You can put them away now. Shh. Everyone look up here. You can't allow other people to bring you down. If they claim to be Christians and they're bringing you down with their sin, you're going to go down with them. That's why we have to contend with the faith and it has to be done with the spirit. 
If you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then you're not going to have the strength to go on. You're not going to have meaning for your life. You're not going to know what to do with your life. It's only the one who shaped you and molded you that can give you meaning in the end. So number three is build up. Look at verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So you guys have to realize, realize something really important. And that is that you are, every single one of you, look up here, every single one of you are responsible for your own spiritual growth. It doesn't depend on me. doesn't depend on the other leaders here. It depends on you. It depends on you saying, you know what? I'm going to wake up early in the morning and read my Bible. It's that important. You know, I'm going to set aside some time to be with Jesus and pray today. It depends on you. You're responsible for your own spiritual growth. And that's why we are to be building ourselves on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So hone your skills and use them. Study the Bible. Memorize verses. Spend time in prayer. Read difficult, Sorry. Read difficult books. I'm dying. I really am. Read difficult books that you might not be able to understand. That's how you expand your brain and that's how you learn. Dig deeper into difficult passages. I mean, if you look at this entire book, a lot of it can be really confusing. We talked about that before. Like if you'll just peek with me for a second. Uh, we got in verse 7, gone after strange flesh. What does that mean? You got Michael the archangel fighting over the body of Moses. What does that mean? Spots in your love feast. What are spots? They're hidden rocks. You got Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesying. Wait a minute. Enoch isn't in the Bible besides when it says, and the Lord took Enoch and he was not for he was with God. So there's nowhere in the Bible that says Enoch said this. How did they get that? Oh, wait, there's a book called Enoch. Wait a minute. If there's a book of Enoch outside of the Bible, does that mean it's inspired? No, but how do you know that? Well, that's another Bible study. You got over here, we have making a distinction. Others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. What fire? Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. What does that mean? And then the most trippy one is... <laughs> The best. Oh, you got uh, keep you from stumbling and present you faultless. But then you got to our God, our Savior, who alone is wise, uh, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power. And in the original language, it says before all time and now and forever, which is another trippy one. Is God inside time or outside of time? Or is God in time with creation and without time, timeless? All trippy things. And there's a million ways you could go in this passage. And you know what? I think it's good. I think it, they're good things. Because you're wrapping yourself with the things of God. You're thinking about the things of God. But so many of us will read passages like this and be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And you don't even think about it. You're like, read the, the, the passage about strange flesh. You won't even think about it. But these things, when you cultivate that mind, a mind that thinks about God, that's how you grow as a Christian. So that's why we are to practice waiting on the Lord and use our gifts. And you know what? I'm going to give you a lot of opportunities this year as we're going to change a number of things. We're going to have apologetics classes. We're going to have a, sort of a student council where people will be able to come into student leadership. We're going to have people serving at the church and become one body. And you know what? We're going to start a stinking revival in this church. And it's got to be you guys. If you guys aren't willing, then nothing's going to happen. 
But if you're someone that wants to be passionate about the things of God and you want to do something, you want to see God change things in your life, then you got to contend for the faith and you got to build yourself up. You know, so many times we're waiting for opportunities. We're waiting for God to show us where to go, what to do, but we're not spending time building ourselves in the word, building ourselves in our relationship with God. And how is God going to use us if we're not being diligent in the small things? And so he says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, which means that you spend time with the Lord. Sorry, I I dropped my thing. Last one is pull up in verse 22 and 23. And then we'll be done. It says, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with, glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So save those with compassion. You're making a distinction. You're speaking the truth in love. So many times we'll correct people out of arrogance, out of anger. But we have to be holding them accountable, saying, listen, I'm telling you you're doing something wrong, but I want to see you grow in the Lord. And with others, we need to be radical in our evangelism. That's where it says, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hitting even the garment defiled by the flesh. Which means we, we are to be radical in our evangelism to do what it takes to see our loved ones saved. To spend time on our knees praying for our siblings that aren't saved. To spend time loving those people that we think are unlovable. To be pulling them out with our radical love and our radical passion for Jesus. Which means we're reaching into dark cultures where no one else wants to go. We're talking to the homosexuals that no other Christian wants to talk to. We're talking to the uncool kids at youth group or talking to the uncool kids at our school that no one else wants to talk to. We're talking to those that are so defiled by sexual immorality and drugs and and drinking, whatever it is. We're reaching into those cultures and pulling them out, saying, this is the love of God. We're showing Jesus to these people. And that's what it means to contend for the faith. And that's why it will be our theme of the year to be radical in our Approach with Jesus to be radical in our contention, contending the faith. Not contention in the meaning of uh, fighting one another, but contending for Jesus. So I'm going to ask you this, and this is where we're going to close. All right, this might be the most important thing that I've ever said thus far. So I know it's getting late, but here we go. The reason I went into this in the first place, I was going to go into the book of James and uh, it didn't work out that way. I think the Lord kind of pressed on my heart to go into this book and that's why I just kind of asked the Lord, you know, you know what, I don't know what to do. Oftentimes I just pray, I'm like, God, I don't know what you want me to say, but I pray that you help me say it. And I have to ask you something. Before we get into the book of James, which is what we're going to focus on next, next week, and we're going to go slowly through the book of James, and although it's the typical youth group book that everyone goes through, 
I think it's the word of God. I think it's living and powerful. And I think when we go in it, we're going to find some deep stuff that we never found before. So we're going to spend about 18 weeks in the book of James. It's going to be a long book, but it's going to be fun. I can guarantee that because, not because I'm a good speaker, but because the Holy Spirit is God. So I want to ask you something. Before we get into that, before we talk about obstacles to contending, like trials, talking about different things disqualifying us from contending, like we'll look at in James, I want to ask you, are you passionate about anything? Is there anything in your life that motivates you for something? Or you just kind of sit around, get distracted by video games or distracted by relationships, distracted by things that just don't matter? The reason I'm asking you that is, like I'm saying, I think the world is pushed into a corner. Uh, the world is pushing us into a corner where we're ineffective for the things of Jesus. It's staggering the numbers of people that are stuck, even in ministry, with sexual immorality. It's staggering the numbers of people in ministry that have to leave ministry because they become a drunk or they become addicted to drugs. These are people in church I'm talking about. And if we're not passionate about God, then why do anything? If we're not passionate about the things of God, we're not pressing towards the goal. If we're not like David and say, there's one thing that I desire and that will I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If we're not saying, you know what, I don't care if there's division in this church. I don't care if there's division in this youth group. I don't care if there's gossip going around about me because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And I'm going to be here for Jesus. I'm going to go to Sunday service for Jesus. I'm going to serve in ministry for Jesus. Not for myself. Not even for my own calling. But because God has called me to do something that might not be comfortable at first. That I might not want to do at first. But you know what? Even if no one else does it, I'm going to do it. You know what? That, I think that's how revival starts. It doesn't happen by other people being like, okay, when's it going to happen? And you look around to other people and waiting for someone who's all filled with the Holy Spirit comes up and says, hey, guys, I'm going to lead you towards Jesus. It has to happen in the lives of the individual to happen in the life of the church as a whole. I really think that you guys, if you take the time, everyone look up here. It's the last thing I'll say to you. If you guys take the time to invest in Jesus, you're not going to regret it. Jesus is the bread of life. We talked about two weeks ago. But unless you eat of that bread, unless you partake of that bread, you spend time with him, you're never really going to get it. There are going to be things that hold you back. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But you know what he says? The one who presents you faultless before the throne of God. The one who preserves you to the end. It's Jesus that does the work and you just have to walk in it. You know, at the Youth Workers Conference, it was just a bunch of old guys, a bunch of old senior pastors that are just talking about the movement. And they all started, I don't know if you know this, Calvary Chapel started with a, a bunch of youths, a bunch of people that were hippies. They walk into church without shoes on, without t-shirts on, and they would hear the word of God. It sparked a revival. And you saw God work in their time. But you know what? I wasn't alive at that time. You're not alive in that time. So they've been waiting for us to kickstart our own revival where we see the hand of God move in America. But it's got to happen on the individual level. So the question is, will Christianity just die out with our aging pastors? Or will it be sparked anew by a new generation of Christian young eyes? So it's up to us people 
that aren't settled with the normal but want greater things of God. So would you pray with me today? Father, I pray as we close tonight that we wouldn't be settling for the things that are normal. We wouldn't be settling for the things that are so unimportant. Lord, it's not an easy road that we have to walk down, but I know there are some people here today that genuinely want to know you more. Lord, I pray for those that have uh, never even accepted you and maybe this is the first time they've heard a message. I pray for them too, Lord, that you'd show your love to them. Lord, I pray that you pour out your spirit on those that are truly seeking you. Maybe, Lord, there's some people that are distracted here today and missing out on your goodness. But, Lord, we know that in your presence is that fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, Lord, give them their spiritual gifts. Give them a new yearning for you. And I pray that you be glorified in whatever we do. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen.